Jesus feeds the 5,000 and walks on the water. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the River Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fishes, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all enough, had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, "'It is I. Don't be afraid.' They were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, thank you, Anne. And now Andrew is going to come and speak to us. Good morning, everybody. Well. We've just listened to the story of three miracles. Jesus fed 5,000 people plus, if you've noticed it said there were 5,000 men, which probably means there were lots of women and children as well, not mentioned in the scripture. And he fed them from a little boy's picnic. Then we had the bit about him escaping to the hills for a bit of peace and quiet and his disciples climbing into a boat and rowing across. And he, later on, walking towards them on the water. And then we read, 
they instantly arrived at the place where they, they were going to. Three miracles, and it would take that much space to write them down. Three miracles in a very short space of time. Do you believe in miracles? You do. Pads does. Glad somebody does. Do you know, the first time I picked up my little newborn, I thought, what a miracle. As I counted all his fingers and toes and all his bits were in the right place, I thought, what a miracle. And I think probably those of us who are privileged enough to be mums have all had the same thought. Yeah? Did you feel that? Yeah. They're so amazing, these little tiny newborns. And I would call that a natural miracle. It's the way in which our bodies were designed. The way God designed us to reproduce. The question here is, do you believe in supernatural miracles? Lots of people who uh, have heard those stories or read those stories might have different reactions. If I was pads with a microphone and the kids were here, I'd go around and ask them what they thought of those stories. But I guess some people might think, well, that was pretty incredulous. Whoever wrote that down surely was exaggerating. You know those sort of things where you tell somebody that 30 people turned up to an event and then five days later it comes back to you and you hear 3,000 people turned up in an event? Somebody exaggerated along along the way. And some people might have thought it was some sort of magic or illusion that Jesus could walk on water. I was watching telly several weeks ago, and I saw a guy apparently make a helicopter disappear. How? (laughs) Crazy. Was it some sort of illusion that Jesus was doing? And some people might say, well, I don't believe any of it anyway. I don't believe in God. It's all rubbish. Or... You could just say, this was the the most amazing thing that happened, and I believe it. And a lot of us have got a picture of God that's just too small. How do you think about God? Do you think of him as somebody slightly bigger and cleverer than the most clever person you can think of. Who's the most clever person that you can think of? Stephen Fry? (laughs) Dara O'Brien? Brian Cox? Stephen Hawking? Who's the most clever person you can think of? Do you think of God as just slightly cleverer and better than them? Well, the scripture teaches that our God is huge, He is enormous. And if God is God, he can do anything. Our kids out at Kids Church sing this song, and it starts, Our God is a great big God. I wish they were here to sing it to you. And that's the God we believe in. He can do anything. Miracles are nothing to him. Can you imagine being there when Jesus was performing miracles? Can you imagine hearing that somebody in Southcote who couldn't see, now can see. Somebody in Tilehurst who couldn't hear, now can hear. Somebody who's 
been in bed all their lives, paralyzed, can now walk. That was what was happening when Jesus was walking the earth. What would you do if you heard that somebody in South Coast had just got their sight back and somebody in Tilehurst could hear and they didn't used to be able to hear? I think my reaction was to go and see. I would want to rush to that place and see it for myself. Was it they say seeing is believing? That would be me. And that's what happened to Jesus. That's why there were 5,000 people there. Because they'd heard... They'd heard all the rumors and perhaps knew some of the people whose lives he'd touched. And they'd rushed to see for themselves. I was in another church about six weeks ago, another local church, talking to a chap. And he said, I want to show you something. And he lifted up his mobile phone. And on it was a picture of a girl in Brazil who had been prayed for by a bunch of Christians holding her glass eye because the Lord had restored the missing eye as they prayed. How amazing is that? It made me want to get on the first plane to Brazil and go and meet this girl. But you couldn't refute it because she had the eye in her fingers like this showing the camera what had happened. It was amazing. What an amazing experience. That's the God that we worship. And there's a verse in another book of the Bible, not the bit that was read to us this morning, and this is what it says. Christ is the visible likeness of the invisible God. In other words, we can't see God. If you want to know what he's like, Look at Jesus Christ, and then you know what God's like. He didn't rush around Israel shouting, I'm the son of God, you jolly well listen to me. God hates your quarrels. He hates your wars. He hates that you cheat. He hates that you... He didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that at all. What he did was that he loved people on every corner. He had compassion for those who were hurting, those who were bereaved, those who were ill. He was kind to everyone that he met. He spoke out against injustice and rulers who were harsh and difficult with their subjects. He spoke up for them. He spoke up for justice. And he told wonderful stories to teach about God's love and God's law. And the most incredible thing that Jesus did for us, on top of all that, was that he allowed himself to be crucified on the cross to take the responsibility and the guilt of our wrongdoing. The scripture says that he died for the sin of the whole world. And when he hung there, he was taking the blame for my sin, my rottenness, my wrongdoing, your sin and your rottenness and your wrongdoing. And his invitation is to come and trust in that fact 
and trust in him and know that you can meet God one day guilt-free because Jesus has taken the responsibility for your rottenness. That's his invitation. Now, one day, this gorgeous girl and these two lads are going to start asking difficult questions. You know the one. Mum, Dad, can you help me with my homework? (laughs) Well, in our house, I had four kids. In our house, when it came to maths, I definitely phoned a friend. I didn't even attempt to help them. My husband uh, was a mathematician, but he died when he was young. And that left them with me, poor kids. Dreadful. I couldn't help them in the slightest, so I definitely had to phone a friend. When my youngest son was in junior school, he had quite a lot of chest problems. And several people had suggested that he learn to play an instrument where he blew so that his uh, lung capacity would grow. And so he started to learn the clarinet. And I recognized as a mum that it's actually quite difficult to learn a musical instrument, and it doesn't get interesting until you can play a tune on it. So when he was at school during the day, I kept a page ahead of him and taught myself a bit of clarinet, just to keep that little bit ahead of him. So when it came to practice time, I could actually help him. And I eventually took some lessons myself. He, of course, overtook me on the fast lane. And he was improvising and playing in a jazz band when I was still doing stage three. So you have two choices as a parent. You can either learn yourself and mug it up so that you can help them, or you can phone a friend. So when the difficult questions about God come... Your responsibility, the promises that you've just made now as parents to bring your children up in the faith, when they start asking you about God, you have to either phone a friend, send them to Kids Jerk, ask Pads, he'll know, or you mug it up for yourself and you find out so that you can lead them and you can lead them to know this loving Jesus who cares so much for them. When my youngest was three years old, that's when his daddy died. And the day after he, his daddy died, he was in the bath, and he asked me, where's daddy gone? And the second question was, can I go too? And I, as, as a mum, I had to have answers to that question. Would you have those answers for your children? Do you know for certain that you have security in Jesus and you can go to be with him as your children can go to be with him? Trust your life to him now. And I tell you, it's a win-win situation. It's not just something that happens when you leave this life. He promises to be with us every single minute of every day. Yesterday... I was asking him if there was anything particular he wanted to say to you as a congregation today. And he whispered in my ear, tell them I'm a heart specialist. And I said, you're a heart specialist, Lord? And he said, yes, I'm a heart specialist. 
I specialised in mending broken hearts. And folks, that's what he did for me. My heart was broken when my husband died, and he mended my heart. And he wants that to do that for you today. And if you have a broken heart for any reason at all, then we'd love to pray with you. And I should be standing up here at the end of the service with a friend, and I'd love to pray for any of you, or if you've got any other needs indeed. If you'd like a miracle today, we've seen a few here, you know. We've seen a few people. We know one lady who came off life support after she'd been prayed for. We know one lady whose cancer went. We know one gentleman whose cancer is in remission right now. We've been praying for him for weeks and weeks in our ladies' group. I've had my back mended by Jesus. He's a great God, full of miracles. And he loves you to bits. And he's so concerned about you. Bless you today. Bless these gorgeous kids of yours. In the name of Jesus. Amen.